Welcome to the Ripe Global Podcast, a podcast providing innovative and inspirational dental education to dental professionals and their teams worldwide. Each fortnight, we deliver relevant content covering procedures, educational opportunities, and interviews with rock stars from the dental world. As we explore the successes and failures of dentistry, learn practical tips and expert advice to help you become a better dental professional. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the Ripe Global Podcast. Once again, this is Dr. Mike Melkers coming to you from Hanover, New Hampshire, here in the United States. And I am really excited, if you could see it, I actually truly have hair standing up on my arm, and Shnezhna, you can see that. I have Dr. Shnezhna, did, did I butcher your name, Shnezhna Paul? It's almost perfect, wow. Shnezhna Paul from Croatia, who I have been a big fan of. One of, the, one of the greatest things about continuing education, whether it's online or offline, is getting to meet some of your heroes and then getting to meet people that, frankly, you never heard of or met before. And, I, and, I, and we met, I think, in person for the first time last year or the year before at the Dental XP Implant Symposium in New York City. So welcome and thank you for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me with you. Thank you, Michael. I'm really pleased and honored to be your guest. Well, it's, it's, it's wonderful to have you. I'm looking, looking forward to chatting about quite, uh, quite a number of things. So when, when I look at your credentials, if people aren't familiar with you, you're, you're an oral surgeon, you have a periodontal specialty degree, you have implantology specialty degree, you've owned a clinic in Germany, you own a very unique clinic that we're we'll, uh, looking forward to talking about in Croatia. So basically you're an underachiever, it, it sounds like. Yes, but actually you have forgotten a very important uh, thing from my CV. Uh, oh. Actually, yes, I'm a human medicine doctor. This is how I started with medicine. Uh, first I studied human medicine and wanted to do uh, actually research at university. And then I was falling in love with, with my husband and he was a German student studying in Croatia. So I came to Germany and uh, this is how I started to study to go to dentistry. Wow. Well, I did not know that. So that, that completely changes my questioning right off the bat. <laughs> how did Schneejana Pole version one become version two. What, what led you to that decision to move from human medicine to, to the dental medicine and surgical side? You know, it would be nice if I would tell right now because I was fallen in love with dentistry, but it wouldn't be true. It came <laughs> afterward. It was because um, I came to the Germany at a time point when the Berlin Wall was fallen and uh, Germany got united and uh, at that uh, time point there were too many doctors, young doctors uh, looking uh, for the jobs and it was impossible for me to get a proper job, you know. I got in, in orthopedics and it was like a mediocratic uh, hospital and uh, we were not doing uh, amazing stuff. And my husband told to me, wow, you are so good in studying. Why don't you go and study again something? 
And I remembered that I really loved from my human medicine uh, university maxillofacial surgery. I was really impressed, impressed. So I decided to start almost from the begin again. And uh, this is how I became a dentist. <laughs> how, many, how many years out of university, how many years out of your medical training were you when you decided to make this change? Yes, medical training, uh, I, uh, university was five years. Mm -hmm. And uh, afterward, I have worked as physician for two or three years. And then I started uh, dentistry for another four years. I didn't have to repeat chemistry and biology and uh, basic stuff. The power of reinvention. That is, I love this story. So let's back up even further. What led you into human medicine to begin with? Why, why did you want to go down that road first? Oh, uh, I'm going to disappoint you again. <laughs> <laughs> it was not a love from my childhood. Uh, really not actually, I wanted to study literature. And uh, then I prepared my exam, you know, entered the exam for the literature. And someone asked me, and if you fail? And I never thought I could fail. And then I thought, oh, I need some second, uh, second uh, choice. And uh, everyone from my class, because we were, we were actually uh, with the topic on the nature science, like biology, chemistry, and like this, everyone tried to go to human medicine, dentistry, animal medicine. So I thought, okay, human medicine. And uh, but by ch not by chance, uh, I uh, got both of these exams. And uh, I went to Zagreb, our major city, in order to immaticulate literature. But in the train, we were the group from my class. And uh, they told me, wow, why don't you stick with us? You will always have a nice for ni uh, time for nice books. And uh, why don't you go for human medicine? So I came home. And my parents were very, very surprised when I told them I'm going to study medicine. This is, this is hilarious. And sorry to disappoint you or surprise you, actually. I was an English literature major, and I was one course away from my teaching degree before I started my sciences. So I did not actually matriculate. I actually, while I was still in university, uh, put all of my... English literature training to the side and I started over with sciences and that's how I ended up for dentistry. So you and I are brother and sister across the world. Yeah. Uh, interesting yeah. interesting I similarity. Like I would like you to tell me more about it. What was the motive? How, how does it come that you decided to go to dentistry? Well, my, my father's a dentist, my mother's a hygienist, my uncle's an orthodontist and my, uh, aunt is a laboratory technician. And I had started working in a dental office uh, for pay when I was 14 years old. And I never wanted to go into dentistry. It was just a neat place to play with sharp stuff and flames. You know, my, my dad would get me after school, and he'd put me in the laboratory, and he'd give me a, a Bic lighter, and he'd give me a roach carver, and he'd lock me in there. You know, today, he'd, he'd be pressed up on charges. But back then, it was just good parenting and, and creative crafts and skills. 
I didn't want to teach uh, English per se. I wanted to write. My love yeah. was always plays and poetry and short stories. And I got to some point and I realized it, that's what made me laugh what you said. I thought, oh, I'll have all this free time to explore my creative writing side once I go into dentistry. So that was uh, preceded by a 20 year writer's block <laughs> after I graduated dental school. And the funny thing like you is we do teach. And like you, we do write. And it's just a different writing and it's just a different teaching. But I, I think our roots in our, in our classic and uh, general studies have, have, have served both of us well. Wow, yes. But uh, it is, you know, uh, it opens the horizons and we can always combine. Although now through social media, our writing is reduced on amazing, great, good job, amazing <laughs> stuff, <laughs> flames, yeah, smiling. And, and, and GJ, you don't even have to say good job, you abbreviate it, knock it all down. <laughs> It's it, it, yeah, it's funny. I had to learn relearn how to write, and not just write, but just to read also for pleasure. It's it's amazingly amazing how much science can change your brain, and and take away some of that creative side, yes, and also this, return it. Yes, this is true. But you know, nowadays I used to read at least in the evening. You know, before I fall asleep, a good book. But now. Uh, for a few years, I, you know, I, I catch myself that I go to ResearchGate because I have some topic that is very interesting for me, or I watch some videos, uh, of course, dentistry videos, and only from time to time, I really can relax to read a good book. What, what does it take for you to relax? Because, I mean, you're high power, you're all over the globe, whether it's currently now with, I won't mention the C word because you told me not to, but whether <laughs> it's our previous lives of you and I jet setting all over to meetings, we're still, we, we almost seem to be busier now than we were before, but we're not going anywhere. What does it take for you to unwind? What does it take for you to relax and, and pull away from ResearchGate? It is, uh, I realized that I, in this period of my time, don't need to relax in this, uh, in this way. Uh, because uh, really, really my profession became my hobby. And uh, the stuff is so interesting. You know, when I uh, went from human medicine to dentistry, then I thought I'm going to be bored because uh, what do you have to stud study about 32 teeth? You know, it takes uh, maybe six months to get everything. And uh, it is really very old phrase, but uh, every day you see that uh, you don't know enough. And the worst thing, you don't even know what you don't know. This is the problem. You don't know what you don't know. And then when you find out what you don't know, you don't feel very good. And then you go to ResearchGate again. Well, but like, as you said, that's what you love. And, and there's another old yeah. saying that says, do what you love and you'll never work another day in your life. 
this is true. I had this year one week vacation. Okay, Corona time, but I use this time really. I have worked, like you said, more than usually. And I had one week vacation. We were on board uh, Adria Sea, beautiful. But I couldn't, you know, go really into the diving and the nature before I finished one video that I had in my mind for some time, but I didn't have a time to do it. And I have enjoyed doing it. It, um, it doesn't make a difference to me if I'm doing some video, preparing some lecture, or especially reading some papers, or do I relax like uh, in other ways? Well, with that, and with the current times, and, and, and with, the, with the corona and COVID, how has your teaching changed? How has your approach to that changed? And how has it remained the same? We all, like everyone, uh, we have nowadays only online lectures. The last that I gave was for Moscow and it was hybrid lecture because the audience was there and it made a difference because I've seen people before. At least I've seen these people that are sitting there and watching at the lecture. But I admit that I have a problem with online lecturing. I really have a problem because I really need, you know, some, uh, some, some persons uh, who are really interesting, who are following, who are smiling or whatever, giving some reactions. Yes, 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 <laughs> this is what it makes. And so I uh, sit in front, front of my Mac and uh, I'm missing imagination to see these people, to bring my message. And the last time uh, I gave two hours lecture and now I have done my stage at home so I can at least stay. I don't need to sit in front of my Mac. Mm -hmm. It makes a difference. <laughs> Absolutely. Think, I mean, it, it's amazing how different interactions like this have, have come since March. And this seems very natural to me now. Uh, granted, the, the viewer or the listeners can't see you, but I can. And sometimes I'm looking at you on the screen, but I have to remember, I have to look up actually at the camera. So you think I'm looking at you where I can't look at you. Everything, everything is the same and everything has absolutely changed. Everything has changed. And I'm really looking forward to the moment that we come back to the really normal life, not it new normal life. Well, with the with the normal life, looking at you know a little bit of, of my background that I shared with you, my dad was a dentist and he worked alone. He had one person at the front desk. And when I graduated, I've worked different practices, but currently I, you know, I work with one partner. I've worked with my wife before, she's also a dentist. You have a very unique practice. Tell us about your practice and what normal when normal was normal, what is, what is uh, first of all, share with us your, your practice model that you have set up. It is meanwhile, it became a huge, more clinic than uh, practice. We are more than 200 people. There are more than 50 dentists. And uh, what's great with 
all dental technicians and uh, everything. What's great that we have all specialities uh, underneath the roof. It is a general dentist who is guiding the therapy, but the patient is in one minute, you know, at the surgeon, uh, periodontist, uh, orthodontics, endodontics, whatever one's need. And this is really a good time-saving model for the patients. Yeah, I mean, you, from what you described, you literally practice in a dental hospital. Yes, actually, yes. So, so how, with, you, you said 200, 200 people working there, 50 dentists, all the specialities represented. How do you maintain a philosophy? How do you maintain a mission? How do you maintain a culture with that large of a group? It is uh, always my therapy, my approach is always patient-oriented. And uh, it doesn't make any difference then if you are in one man uh, office or two or 200. <clears throat> if you are oriented on the patient, uh, it doesn't make any difference. It's only shorter ways for the patient, I would say like this. If you were hiring or i wanted a job at your at your clinic at your how what would you tell me about your practice or what would you ask me that would help you see if i was a fit as a practitioner uh the i'm always interested uh, in how one was doing uh, during university like a student exams and uh, like uh, some other contributions. Uh, meanwhile, uh, I'm uh, in oral surgery and I have the best students from uh, two universities in Croatia because they wanted really to join the team. I want to have uh, people who are team players and who are ambitious, who are nice and uh, kind, uh, warm heart, and uh, until now, I did have always opportunity to choose following these uh, requirements. Do you, did you find uh, historically that the majority then of people that are looking to be employed by you are coming directly out of university or that you can mold or are you hiring more experienced practitioners? They, they come uh, mostly from university. We have only few clinicians who were already experienced when they joined us. And normally we do have uh, fresh people from university and they go through, the, when they come to us, they go through all departments. They go to orthodontics, to endodontics, to surgery, periodontics, and then, uh, Mostly it is uh, that uh, they decide what they want to do from the dentistry, if it's possible in the moment, but mostly it's possible. But all of them want to go to surgery. <laughs> <laughs> what? That sounds like a, just a fantastic opportunity and a, uh, and a fantastic chance to mold and to influence and to motivate people very early on in their profession. Yes, this is really good. And it is not uh, only 
uh, that uh, they learn in the clinic. Uh, they are also sent to educations. All of my students uh, have done uh, one year uh, or even longer. It is this dental XP fellowship program. Everyone mm -hmm. who does the surgery and they also go because we are so nearby to Italy. They go to Italy to to Kelly courses or to Germany or whatever. Very cool. Just open the horizons, just not to have a dogmas. What a special gift that you must cherish to to be in that role to influence so many people that will affect so many patients. Yes, this is the best part of my job. This is the best part of my job. Being surrounded by 25 to 30 years old, you know, nine or 10 uh, young people that uh, really want to learn and to apply what they have learned, the whole knowledge. And this is really funny. It's nice. Well, that, that goes well beyond your clinic as you know why I walked up to you and introduced myself the very first time in New York that you and I have a very close mutual friend, Dr. Najia Ilyas uh, from, from Karachi, Pakistan. Oh, yes. Really nice. Nice mutual friend. And she's really, wow, she's rocking. She's so interesting and so, so skilled. She's really great. Tell me about how you and Najia started, first met, and, and how your friendship and mentorship developed. It is, uh, I gave a lecture in Pakistan and uh, I was really flattered because I understood that some of them were really looking forward for months to this conference and to meet all of us speakers. And uh, I would say maybe especially a female dentist were looking forward to meet me. And I loved when I finished my lecture that I had so many questions. And the most of these questions came from our mutual friend, from Naija. <laughs> and we had a wonderful time together. I mean, it was very short time. It was uh, only, you know, during the breaks, but we had a lot of uh, to laugh about. And this is, this is uh, very, very interesting, you know, independently uh, from uh, which part of the world you are. When you are really patient about your profession, you find friends uh, everywhere in this world. And sometimes, you know, I am struggling uh, to find a topic for chat with my neighbors or with my family or, you know, equitants. But I never struggled to find a topic to talk about with my friends at dental conferences. <laughs> mm -hmm. that, that's, that's, I, I love that. You, you brought up a topic and, or you touched on it that I'm wondering, when I look at my mentors and I look at my friends and I look at my dental colleagues around the world, they're not limited by experience level or national origin or gender. But when you said that, that they were excited to see a female practitioner, do you feel that there are barriers and obstacles that exist for female sure educators? I, 
I'm going to disappoint you again. <laughs> I, <laughs> because I don't see these barriers, really not. It is, you know, uh, many of female uh, clinicians do say, uh, why are so uh, very few female speakers at this conference? We should be like uh, 50%. But it is actually, when you look around, we don't publish uh, papers like our male colleagues. We don't write uh, so much books like our male colleagues. We don't show so much cases like our male colleagues. And in that moment, when you start, when you uh, give this, when you uh, publish some papers or um, show nice cases, you have invitations. I don't see any <clears throat> obstacle, really not. Well, I absolutely don't think you disappoint me because I am in the same opinion as you. Uh, and whether it's you or Dr. Lee Brady from the, from the Panky Institute or a myriad of friends, Najee, who I talk to, or at least chat with almost every day, we try to is, you know, one of the things at Ripe Global, the mission is democratizing education, is there, there are no borders, there are no sexual or, or you know, gender or nationalistic borders. It's if you have the skills, you have the passion or the desire to obtain them, step up, be heard and uh, participate. Absolutely, that's it. If you have a passion, if you have something to show, if you are really, really in your job, there are no obstacles because one is female or because of the country you are coming from. No, absolutely not. Love it. I absolutely love it. So going to continue on in that <clears throat> vein or line of questioning is who, who motivates you? Who have you been motivated by in your career? In my career, it, uh, of course, it's changed. I am long <clears throat> enough in my career uh, to have uh, some people, some role models to look up. It was on the very beginning, it was Bob Lamb. Nowadays, he stayed my big mentor. Uh, he's um, owner of um, IDEA Educational Center in San Francisco. It is really great educational center. And Bob used to teach in Germany. And that time I uh, had my practice, uh, my office in Germany. So each time when he was teaching, lecturing in Germany, he came to my place and spent one or two days with me supervising my surgeries. Later on, he was more on his laptop and just gave a look and said, this fine, just change this or this. Uh, afterward, I joined Dental XP with, uh, and then I found my group, my nowadays PT group, uh, these are, uh, Maurice Salama, Chuck Swimmer, Jorge Campos Aliaga. And this is when it starts like this, you know, there is no one surgery that I'm doing that I don't have my virtual friends looking over the shoulder and approving or disapproving what I'm doing. So I never... <laughs> My surgeries, I, I have really feeling they are looking all the time what I'm doing. So with, with your influence um, from, from, from Bob or, or Dr. Salama or the others that you mentioned or Jorge Campos, what changes, what big changes have you seen in your own surgeries that they influenced from your traditional uh, teaching? It is uh, from my PET group, I got partial extraction therapy 
uh, this is what I haven't performed until 2015 when I started, I've seen from them. And uh, love for autologous tissue, autologous tissue, site preservation. And this is also what I have from Bob Lamb because I was already trained oral surgeon when he used to come to me and he's periodontist. So he taught me to preserve the tissue, to keep the tissue, uh, to avoid the big cuts if it's not necessary. And uh, these are and these two things, and this is uh, being minimally invasive whenever possible and utilizing autogenous tissue whenever possible. It is uh, two most important things in my surgery. Autologous tissue, and you, you, you spoke to that earlier before we were on the program. You said that's one of the one of your passions. And what what was the transition that made that so important? Or where were you before uh, before you thought autologous tissue was so important and you had that aha moment or the emergence of the realization of oh how important autologous tissue is? It is, uh, I have combined, I have, I have done a lot of surgeries like spontaneously utilizing autologous tissue and I have done, I performed also techniques that were published afterwards. And I didn't know at that time point about it. And I utilized also xenograft and uh, all uh, bone substitutes. But then when you are long enough in your profession, you also see your results, not only after one year, but also after 10 years and after 15 years. And uh, so I realized whenever I utilized autogenous tissue in a proper manner, I have nice results. They stay stable. That's do you, do you find, have you found any lessons that you carried from your human medicine training with, uh, with orthopedics that you kept or changed as you moved into dentistry, dental surgery? It is, uh, I, I wouldn't tell it is, you know, one technique that I have from orthopedics uh, into the dental surgery. This is not, it is maybe the horizons are somehow wider. The horizons oh, so. are wider. And uh, then you have uh, maybe a bigger overview when you start in this small area. How, how so? Can you, can you talk about that a bit more? It is uh, maybe, huh, uh, maybe difficult to explain, but uh, I will try to explain it. Maybe it is uh, like uh, in human medicine, uh, you are uh, more trained uh, to read a lot of literature and uh, to know really about biology. Mm -hmm. And uh, in that dentistry, it is often what I see that you learn about bone substitutes from your representatives, from the uh, reps, from uh, uh, dealer companies selling this stuff. So you feel like there's a commercialization influence yeah, in the application. Yes. If you could change something about that, because 
We have a unique and adversarial, but also compatriot relationship with the commercial side of dentistry because we can't do what we do without materials and tools. If you could, if you could ma wave your magic wand and change that relationship, what would that, how would we interact better with the, the commercial side that supports us? Hmm. It is, uh, I, I don't think we can change it because there are always sponsors and there are not just sponsors for autologous tissue. And this is uh, the problem, you know, there is no one that uh, has uh, some financial interest in it. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think like um, stuff that uh, uh, Rick Myron is doing, uh, giving two days uh, courses and lectures uh, even for the other lecturers to have an overview, to really understand what is also inductive or also conductive or osteogenic, uh, to really understand what is it about. I think that uh, it belongs to the uh, basic of education. If you are allowed to do surgeries, to utilize the biomaterials, then you really must know the basic about it. I, as you saw me, they can't, our listeners can't see, but I was looking up on my, on my uh, bookshelf for his textbook. As I look at uh, Boozer and Ishvan Urban and Zuller and Zuccelli and Gravinder and Sklar, <laughs> <laughs> how much I, I'm influenced by, by what you're talking about. And I, and I wasn't referring necessarily to the <clears throat> xenographic uh, tissue commercial side, but just the commercial side in I used to say xenograft because in Croatia, allograft is not allowed. So we do have a synthetic biomaterials and xenograft. We don't have allograft. And that's interesting. And globally, how different markets in different countries allow uh, xenograft or allograft to be used. And, but everybody, everybody allows autograft. Yes, and it's really interesting. And I think it is, uh, you know, it is not a big uh, philosophic question. It is a very uh, daily life question. Like I think in Croatia, it is, it, it's tucked by one, you know, member of uh, health ministerium who didn't done a homework because there is allograft for orthopedic surgery, but not for dentistry. Huh. Interesting. Huh. That, that, is, that is interesting how, you know, and I'll ask you that with, without my own opinion, is how much of that is ethics, how much of that is cultural, and how much is political, and how much is science by you know, disallowing the use of allograft? I am pretty sure, uh, like I already said in Croatia, I cannot tell for the other countries. But I think it is, you know, just something that no one's really took care about it. Mm -hmm. Very, it, it's not uh, religious and it is not scientific. It is, you know, someone employee from health ministerium hasn't done <laughs> that it. Fair enough, fair enough. So if, you know, as you talked about, you've been in, in your career long enough, and, and both of us have, have been around the clinics for a number of years, maybe longer than we care to admit. If you could go back to your younger self and give yourself a piece of advice regarding 
your clinical practice, what would that be? And when would you have given it? Uh, before uh, dental school, I would have done a few months at the dental technician lab. Really? Tell me yes. more about that. Because I was so lost uh, in dental school. I don't know how it's in the States, but I guess it's pretty the same like in Germany. Uh, uh, as a student, uh, whatever you do for your patient, you have to produce it by yourself in the lab. Yep. Yes. That, that's how it was for me. We had, in, when I was in school, we had to wax all our own crowns and we had to stack, I think, a four-unit anterior bridge before we were allowed to send it out. Today, it's very different. They're not waxing anything uh, in some schools. They don't have to do any lab work, which I, I, I think is, I hate to use the word criminal, but it's incredibly depressing that we forget our roots. Because yes. whether we're using <clears throat> digital dentistry or not, everything is delivered analog. And if you don't know how things should touch and how things should meet, you can't evaluate what is right and what is wrong. You just know it didn't work that day. Absolutely, absolutely. And this is what I missed during uh, my dental school, you know, just a few months just to feel more confident, to enjoy it more, uh, not to have uh, stress with doing this lab work, but to enjoy it more. I think it's always very important to enjoy what you are doing. Absolutely. To feel good with it, you know. Well, with, with that, and as I read off all of my, my textbooks above me, and we've talked about both of our pasts and presents, what about the future? What, what makes you passionate? What inspires you? And what's next on your horizon as Dr. Paul, the student and the learner? Uh, the next, what is the next? I'm looking forward to apply a new technique that I've just learned. And this is uh, just a small uh, part of uh, everything that I'm looking forward. I'm really, I, I feel happy with this combination of uh, teaching and doing clinical work. And uh, with time, it's going to be more teaching and uh, more research and less clinical work. And this is also very, very nice. Looking forward to it. As am I, and as I am looking forward to hearing more about it in the future. As we're coming to our end, I want to thank Dr. Shnezhana, 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 Dr. Shnezhna, Shnezhna. Boom, I learned something. Dr. Shnezhna Paul from Croatia, thank you so much for joining us. I really, really enjoyed talking to you. I'm glad we finally got you onto the program, and I'm looking forward to next time. Looking forward to your next time to meet you in person again. Thank you for now, having me. I will very, very much looking forward to that. And I will say thank you for all of our listeners for once again tuning into the Ripe Global podcast. Be sure to check out ripeglobal.com for all the content that we have on there, as well as the Restoring Implant Practice Excellence, the competition that's going on. You can check that out. We're giving away a $5,000 teaching contract every two months, culminating with a $30,000 teaching contract as well as giving away in high quality intraoral scanner. Until next time, this is Dr. Mike Melkers signing off from Hanover, New Hampshire. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for joining us for this incredible episode of the Ripe Global Podcast. 
We'll meet you back here next time for some more insights from Ripe Global. And in the meantime, Ripe Global is teaming up with master dentists from all over the world to offer you a fast-growing library of world-class online lectures and masterclasses. Visit our website at www.ripeglobal.com and become a member today.